Hey everyone, so it's our season finale and we have a very special guest, but you know who that guest is because you already downloaded this episode. But if you're new to be on the plate, meaning you joined us this season, you probably know this season has been celebrity focused. But back in season one and two, we sat with some of the world's best chefs and restaurateurs. And for our upcoming season four, we're going back to that. So consider this the finale, but it's also a little teaser into where we started or into our upcoming season four. So with that said, I'm Jeff Marl, and you're listening to Beyond the Plate with Cappy. I got my first, you know, official real job when I was 15, and I worked at the butcher shop. Two mustachioed butchers, right? Stack of Playboys in the back, chain smoking, walk out. I'm like dating myself. You would think I, I was raised in the 40s, right? Season three of Beyond the Plate is made possible with the help of our friends at Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. Hey everyone, this is Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate, a podcast where I sit down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey with food and their passion for giving back. Every episode we share inspiring stories of what it means to be in today's hospitality industry. As you know, this season we welcomed an amazing group of celebrities such as Neil Patrick Harris and David Burka, Tiffany Thiessen, Alicia Silverstone, our last guest Jason Biggs, and plenty more. In one way or another, they all have a connection to the world of food, whether they host a food show or have a cookbook or simply give back through food. We were super excited to have them join us on Beyond the Plate. Season three of Beyond the Plate is made possible with the help of our friends at Guinness. Guinness can be part of your celebration, whether you're in the pub or at home. Guinness has been brewing great beer for almost 260 years. Whoa. There's more than just the iconic Guinness draft stout. And you may have heard that Guinness Draft is too heavy, people may say, to have with a meal, but that's actually not true. It's only 4.2% alcohol by volume, which I did not know, and it has just 126 calories in a 12-ounce pour. Who knew? Not very far off from your typical light beer. Now, while I enjoy a nice cold Guinness, I also like to use it in the kitchen. Say, jazzing up a homemade barbecue sauce, maybe basting it on some grilled chicken thighs... How about that? But you know what else I love about Guinness? I can't get enough of their Guinness Gives Back program, truly. They recently worked with Jeff Morrow, part of this episode, to raise money for food banks in both Chicago and New York. And around St. Patty's Day, they donated a dollar for every Guinness mustache posted to social media with the hashtag stash for charity. So the Guinness Gives Back Fund supports nonprofits that contribute to the common good in our communities. The Guinness Gives Back Fund is a corporate donor-advised fund administered by Fairfield County's Community Foundation. The fund's mission is to support local charitable organizations, which are classified under Section 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code that are aligned with the corporate focus areas of Diageo North America, Inc. To learn more about Guinness, visit their website, Guinness.com, or check them out on social media at GuinnessUS. Guinness, we thank you. For this episode, we sat with Mr. Jeff Morrow. Love this dude. Talented, hilarious, the Food Network funny man, in my opinion. I love this guy. He truly makes me crack up every time I see him. So we sat and talked at his home in the Chicagoland area. We talked about his journey into the food world. Pretty neat one. I never knew all of it. And I think you're going to learn something 
knew about this guy's work ethic. Talks about his journey into Food Network Star, a little bit about his Pork and Mindy's restaurant concepts in the Chicago area, uh, how he chooses to give back. I've worked with him on some giving campaigns here in Chicago. Really nice guy, generous with his time when he has time, which is rarely ever. We do not talk about his new podcast called Dad Vice that he has, but he has one. So check it out. But now for the more formal stuff, but it's not really that formal because his bio is like more hilarious. But here's some snippets. He was born in Chicago. His first job was at the local butcher shop where he was paid the handsome wage of $3.62 an hour. After three months of sweeping up bloody sawdust and washing fat pans, he decided to make a vertical move and accepted a job at the deli down the street where he was paid $5.12 an hour to make sandwiches. After three years hustling and failing in Hollywood, he upped the ante and enrolled in culinary school to refine his cooking skills. He returned to Chicago where he was a culinary instructor, a new father, a successful private corporate chef, which he talks about, and a local comedic performer. But after three unsuccessful audition attempts, he finally landed himself on season seven of Food Network Star, and he won. He then had an Emmy-nominated show called Sandwich King, and he currently co-hosts the Food Network's Saturday afternoon juggernaut, The Kitchen, now in its 22nd season. Whoa. His favorite color is pastrami, and his favorite smell is meat smoke. I mean, what else? All right, this was a fun one. I'm going to stop here. Please enjoy this conversation as we go beyond the plate with Jeff Morrow. All right, let's do it. Do it. Personal connection. Your sister worked with my wife. It's true. When we moved back to Chicago and also in this small world of food, we see each other through the wine and food festival circuit. Very true. And you were very gracious to be involved in some charity work that I did with the Academy for Global Citizenship here, which is a, a school on the um, southwest side of Chicago, and this event raised millions of dollars, and you were one of the few chefs we had involved, and we thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome. It's always fun to do that event, mainly because, you know, it is, you know, like the best of the best, and I feel lucky just to be a part of it. But, uh, you know, the kids are awesome, and they're talented, and you get your own little personal painting of yourself every year. You by a different student yeah. and it's fun to see those uh every you know obviously it's a charity event we don't get paid but i feel like i do get paid because i do it for the charity but i also do it for the free uh painting of myself <laughs> that's right that's right and they're so good some are you know obviously better than others you're dealing with different ages of kids too but i love them. and all the chefs they, they say they do it for their heart, but I think they all do. That's how narcissistic we all are deep down. <laughs> we want a child's painting of ourselves. So for those people who don't have the privilege of knowing you, what three words would you use to describe yourself? Funny? I hope. <laughs> God, this is hard. Why is that harder? I'd say funny, real, and family. All right. if, you know, I mean, I guess that's it. Real meaning I still kind of live where I grew up. I'm st- despite traveling most of the time and sh- working out east most of the time and having to get on a plane to make a buck still, uh, I, uh, I still keep my family closest, you know, and that's what I mean by real. I just, I try to raise my son in a real environment and not 
take him. I could have moved to New York nine years ago when all this started happening. If I listened to the, my, you know, my uh, peers and agents and stuff like that. And they're obviously I could probably work more and make more money. If I moved to New York, I could be on the today show more and I can be on all these other shows and I can, you know, on a whim go, you know, guest judge and chopped or whatever. But deep down, I think it's, you know, my life is richer just staying here that much more, you know? Yeah. So the three words I was going to say were funny, generous, and this is one word, makes a damn good sandwich. <laughs> is that one word? Yeah, I spelled it as one word. That is, that's a mouthful. Can you take, take us on like a brief ride of your culinary journey, like up until Food Network days? Okay. Like, because I, I know there's like acting in there. Yes, there's a like, whole, uh, yes. There's like Tony and Tina's wedding. <laughs> I, I've, I've done it all, but I always cooked from my first job, which... Technically, it was at the White Hen here in River Forest on Lake Street. Wait, White Hen Pantry? White Hen, remember White Hen Pantry? Do I ever? It was like sorting papers with my brother on Sundays. That's when the Sunday papers would be delivered to White Hen, and you'd have to put the sports on top of the tempo, on top of the front oh page gosh. with the circulars in between. So that was for a couple bucks. But I think that guy, the guy who owned it, was a little shady. So I think we made it out unscathed because it didn't end well. <laughs> With some of the other kids, I think. Thank God for my parents that were involved. Um, <laughs> and then I remember uh, working at for five summers in a row, starting at 14 years old, was Taste of Chicago for Tuscany, Taylor Street location. And we'd slang beefs and sausages and fried ravioli with my cousins and my brother and stuff. So that was, you know, making $5 an hour, working 16 hours a day at the Taste. It was the best. And that's when I kind of got, got that love for food and being like, I love, I love the selling of it. I love putting things together and I love watching people stuff their face, you know? To me, that was always a part of performing. And, and through all this, I did performing arts. I took Second City youth classes and Piven Theater Workshop in Evanston, school plays, everything. So then I got my first, you know, official real job when I was 15. I got I had to go get a work permit. I worked at the butcher shop here on Lake Street. So I started sweeping up sawdust and fat and cleaning gristle and blood out of hotel pans all day. Loved it. Two mustachioed butchers, right? Stack of Playboys in the back. Chain smoking walk out. I'm like dating myself. You would think I, I was raised in the 40s, right? Why did you, did you want to do that? Were you it was like just into- open. They had a sign in the window. Okay. I went there. They paid me three sixty two an hour, below minimum wage back then. But because I was not 16, they can get away with it. And then I, wore, I moved about six doors down to a deli and catering company called Traveling Fair and then he paid me $5 an hour, which I thought I was like, I'm in the money. But that I would, that's when I got the love for the sandwich, right? Because I was in charge of slicing meat by the pound and building sandwiches and helping the chef and back with catering stuff. So I always, I guess, supported myself or made my, you know, side money in the food world. And, you know, those early jobs, I think, solidified that. And from that point on, I went, you know, I went to college and was this steward for, 
the fraternity for four years, right? So I'd have the key to the kitchen. Yes. And I like revamped the whole thing, you know, because whoever was doing it before was getting like, you know, gelatinous deli turkey that was sliced a quarter inch thick. And I, you know, I revamped all that by getting our own (laughs) slicer and doing it a la minute. But we, uh, you know, and then I graduated college and my cousin with a, uh, you know, a solid 2.3 average uh, in communications, radio, television. And I, two weeks after I graduated, my cousin, who's a chef in the city, wanted to get out of the, uh, you know, want to get out of the back of the house in the full service world and opened a deli out in the suburbs. He's like, come on board with me, you know, just help me out. And that was, you know, four years later because I got cast in Tony and Tina's wedding the same week we opened the deli. So I got to do both. It was, a de- you know, it was daytime there and nighttime's yeah. Piper's Alley. Dang. That's that. <laughs> and then eventually culinary school in LA and restaurant and all that stuff. But I've always worked in food. People just think it was like, hey, this guy, he's funny. He needs an angle. It wasn't. It's not. Like, I, I am trying. Like, I've worked in food a very, very long time. Why culinary school in LA? Did you go out there for? I went out there to hustle, comedy, stand up, improv. I did the groundlings, uh, shooting from two weeks, three weeks. My cousin is a screenwriter and director. He's like, come on out. We'll produce a cooking show for you. I was like, this is it. I'm in the money. And at that point, Sarah, my wife, is, uh, she's a nurse. You know, she's working, I think probably at Loyola at that time, or, or Rush, as a nurse in the hospital. But you can get a job anywhere as a nurse. So they, sorry, that's my dog barking at zero out there. So we moved out there <laughs> because it was easy in, you know, hustling and everything and shooting pilots and trying to shop them around and getting representation, shopping them around still. And it was like after three years of that, while performing, while working full time, I, I rolled out of bed one day. I was like, I got to do something like I got to I need to like disrupt my own life because right now, you know, we're married at this point. You're, I'm not like string. I'm, you know, I feel like I'm kind of stringing Sarah along. She's the main breadwinner, obviously. And I'm not that I, I worked full time. Did you work in, in food in LA or just? No, I never did. Okay. No, I just did. I worked at a production company like answering phones for like the president during the day. And then at night, I do groundlings a couple of days a week, do stand up, failed miserably, you know, doing open mics in LA. Whereas I succeeded, I was much better in Chicago. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, it wasn't my jam. I, I didn't do it a, a, enough or a lot at all because I was scared shitless. It still scares me to this day. Really? Stand up is to me the hardest thing on the planet. Because I think if you did an open mic in Chicago and like position, well, I don't know how this would be brand building, but position like as this like comedian that did jokes about food yeah. for the world of food, <laughs> yeah. you know? It's like, like Jim Gaffigan, oh, how he, you gosh. know, it. I've done it. Like I, I did Zanies. I opened for Pat Tomasulo from WGN probably about a year and a half ago or something. And we're friends and he's always trying to get me on stage and I can do it. I did 10 minutes solid. I did, I, you know, I have, I literally have books of bits that I still use that I still write down. But for me, the, 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 the safety net is the food because usually I'm doing a demo while I'm doing my bits. You know what I mean? So when I get, when I do personal appearances or food festivals, I mean, I'm doing a 30 minutes while cooking. It's the same, it's the same muscle, just doing more at once. So you decided to go to a culinary school yeah, I in did. LA. Boom, did that for a year, worked in restaurants, and then moved back here and basically started the family, you know? When you auditioned for Food Network Star, you did that when you were back here. 
I started when I was in LA. Really? Yeah. And it took me several tries. I mean, four tries. I started season four and I didn't get on till season seven. No shit. Yeah. Uh, how'd you find out about it? Or who did I someone push it, you? You know, to do that it? was an open, I, I knew it existed, obviously. And then when I started season four, I was fresh out of culinary school, working in a restaurant, and I made it really far to the point where I started auditioning and got called back while I was in LA, moved back home to Chicago, didn't hear, that was like in April, and then I didn't hear from him till like December. So we were fresh, you know, kind of fresh off the boat, and I was working, I was, you know, I, f- I forget what I was doing, I was cooking in a, uh, I was a private chefing for this large mortgage guaranteed rate in this in Chicago here. For like, I had my own cafe. It was great, great hours, good benefits. Cooking for four hundred people, you know, face fronting, you know. So I had like my cafe and my meat slicer. I was like back where I needed to be, right? I feel like you need like a mini meat slicer in your oh, kitchen. My, she'll kill me. She will. There's no. First oh, really? of all, there's no such thing as a quality mini meat slicer. I need like a big Burkle. I was gonna say, yeah. They made outdoor ones. I could I could get away with it if it lived out in the outdoor kitchen. Who's the minimalist? My wife. I, I think we both are. I grew up in a shit ton of clutter. You know, I'm one of four siblings. My parents were not like, pack, not at all, but it was just chaos. You know, it was chaotic and there's always stuff around. Yeah. My wife like wants white kitchen with nothing on the counter. I was like, I have a fucking Vitamix. <laughs> I have a food processor. I have a stand mixer. I have two coffee machines. You can see there's I a ton like, of cabinets here. I like so. Bain Marie's of like I equipment. I was like, what do you mean nothing on the counter? I... I know it's very, I'm constantly, I just, I would rather have maybe 20 more percent things on the counter than there are currently because, you know, as you see, and if, you know, if you look in the new uh, earth, the uh, whatever, what month is it? The May issue of uh, Food Network magazine, the kitchen is featured in Star Kitchen, which they wanted to do at my old house in Elmwood Park. So I sent them pictures. I never... then her back from them. <laughs> That's like the first time Rachel, New York Times, wanted to do a feature on her. And she's like, yeah, sure. She was living in like a $400 a month like cabin <laughs> in upstate New York with one bedroom and no dishwasher. And the editor came up. They're like, we they were so un- like unamused. And yeah, she's well, like, well, this, this, is, this is what I do. All right. You mentioned family yeah. with a name like Moro. Tell me about the, your family table growing up. The table was my mom cooked. And unlike a lot of the kids maybe we grew up, especially when we moved to River Forest, like we were one of the few that had to be home 5 p.m., 5.30, whenever she would, you know, call it. And we were in like, we got our balls busted. We're like, oh my God, I mean, guess you got to go home and eat dinner with your family. I was like, don't you, aren't you hungry? A, I'm starving. I haven't eaten in two hours, right? B, you know, it, it was where everything happened, right? I mean, of course, food, my mom, that was back in when, you know, we would eat pasta probably four days a week. I mean, that was before, you know, carb was a four-letter word, right? So we'd have, you know, it would always, yeah, two liters of diet pop always, usually like diet right, and pasta and chicken, pork, burger, whatever, you know, meat, vegetable thing. But that's where all the business went down. You know, that's where, uh, you know, that's where we laughed the most and discussed things, fought right? Cried everything, you know? So for me, it's, sorry about that. Someone's, someone's, it's probably the mailman. So we, uh, we wanted to be like, a lot of times it was difficult being around the table. Cause it was, you know, th- you know, there was four kids, two parents and a lot, nobody had a weak personality. So it was like, how do you vie for that attention? I think that's where I developed my comic muscle 
was because I didn't make my kids, you know, I didn't make my siblings cry like my brother did. I didn't cry like my sisters did. So what was I going to do? Let's keep the peace by making them laugh. And that was kind of my role. Was there any like mainstay dishes that were cooked weekly or I often? I would say um, probably, I would say we always had red sauce, you know, from Sunday that would, you know, that would start on Sunday and then carry over into the meat, like just like a marinara. Like yeah. a big pot of it. Yeah, big pot. It would, you live on the stove, you know, not unrefrigerated for up to two, to two days. But I guess that gave us a strong constitution, right? It's so funny because I went, I, I went to, from culinary school to hospitality school and my hospitality school is an international school. And I went to school with a lot of people from the West Indies and some of my great friends were from Jamaica and they would make rice and peas and, mm -hmm. you know, chicken dishes on the stove in the morning and they'd be like, hey, have some, you know, eat it for lunch. And then they would leave it on the stove off all day. Yeah. And then we'd come home like late night at one in the morning and we're like, yeah, hey, I'm like, I'm not fucking eating that. Yeah, and they're like, why I not? Because I don't have your constitution. I'm not used to that. What's the first thing you ever cooked? Sandwiches. Yeah, I think I think it was, I mean, my mom handled it. Like, there was no way I was, unless, you know, I didn't care when I was a kid. Like, I didn't want to, like, my mom handled it. It was, there was nothing cool about cooking when I was growing up, right? I mean, it didn't start until I was in my 20s to like, kind of, you know, Food Network started hitting. And then, so... But I was always so anal about food, like so, like when it before it hit my plate, I had certain things, right? You know, like I didn't like big hunks of meat, and that's where the love of sandwiches came in because I'd always, you know, toast my, you know, butter and griddle my bread. Like I hated dry toasting bread. I thought it was just scrape up the roof of your mouth. So I need butter and everything. So it's probably the bread onto the meat and then thinly slicing stuff. But it was when. My mom gave up packing our lunches as kids because it's just, she was over it. Pack your own damn lunches. And we would, you know, I would learn to separate all the ingredients in its own little designated zip, zip lock bag and, and everything. So I'd build the sandwiches fresh. Really? I was in junior high, whatever. So nerdy, you know, chubby, obviously. <laughs> and like, you know, putting turkey on, and I couldn't put the bread in plastic because I, detect this the plastic taste so i'd have to foil wrap it my my mom didn't care and <laughs> i was probably blown through like 17 dollars of disposables right <laughs> i mean i was you know whatever if this go green kids don't do that but for me it was if i'm gonna eat this thing i want it to be and that carried throughout my life you know it was even like working in offices or whatever in my teens or 20s and stuff i would do the same thing i hated like just Whole sandwiches sitting there congealing, yeah. lettuce, mustard soaking into bread, whatever. Nothing grosses me out more than a pre-packaged sandwich in like anywhere. A bodega, yeah. gas station, I call them whatever. Kiosk, kiosk sandwiches. Yeah. I no defy way to you. make them no. good. To find me one, whoever's out there listening, tweet, whatever. If you could prove to me a kiosk sandwich is good. Like if you've got those kiosk sandwiches of all kiosk sandwiches, Please prove it to me. Usually it is ungodly wilted lettuce, right? Like just like that you, it's always peeking through, you know, usually it's on some whole grain sub roll, right? That is like hard, hard <laughs> and it's so cold, right? And the meat's always lackluster and the mustard is whatever. It got, got, and then there's, you see, you know, who's eating the triangle tuna fish sandwich from a gas station? Can we take a break for a second? Where, where am I eating on my way home from here? Well, you know, Johnny's is always right there. Because if you're going to take North Avenue back down, what are you in the mood for? You want hot or cold? Do you get beef or sausage at Johnny's or both? I get a combo. You know what I do? I've get? never had a combo there. 
you know what? When they're churning and burning, it's the best because sometimes their sausage gets overcooked over those coals. But when it's like prime, I love Downwood Park. We still, our friends are still there. We still hang out there all the time. But when the, when the wind was blowing due northeast, we were two, two and a half, three blocks away. We can smell the, the charcoal in the air and the sausage. There's nothing that smells like a beef stand, right? It's got that oil. You smell the peppers, right? You smell the you smell the beef in the air, and you and you should smell that char from the if. And that's the beauty of Johnny's. I mean, and it's 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 frequency there, right? Because they do have so they do such volume. That's what makes it the best beef stand, I think, in the city. It's like you're constantly just nothing sitting in the in the gravy too long, and like getting rubbery you know the, i think you do a combo combos can get a little cumbersome when they're too saturated so just you know combo easy juice sweet and hot get a get a, it's nice enough get an italian ice small no cap get a diet coke get some fries and a side of hot dog plain i love plain hot dogs side of hot dog oh always tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow we go anywhere my dad's like uh can i get uh you i thought know, you were burn. gonna say like a side of cheese no a side of polish that's another tomorrow favorite can we get a side of polish please oh this is amazing polish polish sausages are incredible because essentially it's like a seasoned hot dog it's and it's like usually four times the size of a <laughs> yeah, normal 10 to too. 1 you know natural casing no oh, that was a Great digression, if that is a mm-hmm. word. Okay, you mentioned family, and yeah. I know you're a family man. You travel a lot. How are you balancing family with TV production? Well, I believe in two things, uh, and that's what I've learned nine years since doing this television you know, bit, is number one, I push it. And that means I, le- I leave comfortably late enough from my home to wherever I need to go, whereas I don't mess with the potential production but I'm also not like milking my time away from home, you know? So not, not to say I'm taking red eyes to New York. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And, and we've gotten into a system where it's like a three o'clock flight's usually better than an 8.30 p.m. flight because I can get settled, have dinner, wake up, you know? So that, that's that. And on the other end of it, when I'm done shooting, I'm getting the hell out of Dodge. I don't need to spend an extra night somewhere because I, if I have to schmooze or if I have to kiss some rings or, go out with the agents, whatever, I do it enough. You know, I, I, I do allocate time for that, but 75% of the time I'm getting on a plane. Sometimes it is that last flight to go home, wake up and be at home with my family. Second part is like when I do work, I'm work, like I'm not clubbing, you know, I'm not like hitting the bars till 2 a.m., which is always an option in our world. Uh, I've, I've kind of set a precedence where I don't do that. Again, I'll go out to dinner schmooze i'll do whatever i need to do to keep you know keep the name out there right yeah, yeah. play the game but generally i go back to the hotel whatever i eat i wake up i work out as much as i can you know and shoot so i'm fresh so i do my job well or better than anybody because i'm fresh and then i go home you know so that's it and you know obviously like facetime is has been great and uh just checking in a lot but for me it's like how can I control and reduce my time away from home? That's really the only way I can. Cause I'm going to have to, I'm still in the position where I generally have to say yes to things. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I can't yeah. like know stuff, you, you know, I'm busy, but for me, it's like, you got to keep it going. Are there deals or, or rules with the wife or your son? Like as far as what? Elaborate. 
If you're away for these two weeks, then we're going to Mexico for this week. You know, you know what? No, as long as I'm like home for the weekend and she, you know. Do you try and be home on weekends? Yeah. Luckily, with television production, it doesn't occur that much on the weekends. And then with the restaurants and everything, I mean, we're at a million, you know, we're at... We're in all these Marianos. I like so that keeps me very busy here. Whereas before I can kind of come home from a week long shoot and veg out for three, four days, but before maybe I have to get on a plane. But now it's like it's good. There's stuff to do. I, here, you know man. what? Idle hands. That's the thing. I do get kind of there is the rule is usually when I start get like my wife wants me to work, right? Sarah's like, go, you've been home two days. You're like starting to get crabby and irpy and short with Lorenzo. You know, I'm not perfect, but you know, I mean, low hanging fruit, it's usually your wife and kid and dogs, right? <laughs> yeah. So if I'm busier, I'm usually a little more even keeled. Do you enjoy going into the restaurants? Yeah, for the most part. You know, I mean, it's how many, stressful. So there's the Pork and Minis location in Bucktown around the corner from my house, but you just mentioned there's a bunch. Yeah, so we have that. We have two in the loop in food halls. We're in, uh, you know, 4 and 55 in Wall Street Market. So those are, you know, obviously more lunchtime spots, and those are fun to go to because it's like, it's always, you know, you do the same amount of tickets in an hour and a half than you do at the brick and mortars, right? And we're building one on North Avenue I in between that. Johnny's and Alpine. So that should start construction. I've never uh, been to Alpine. In nine days. Alpine's great. You told me about Alpine a while ago. It's good. You should. You know what? Maybe it's a little lighter than a combo. I love it's it. It's just like a Italian, like a Italian deli. Yeah, good bread. Okay. You know they use they use Toronto. They used to use um, Ganella. Okay. But it's good. So then we have, uh, you know, we're in a lot of food halls. You, one in Lyle in a corporate food hall. We're in Denver, Minneapolis. Uh, we're at Wrigley Field in the bleachers, and now we're at ten officially open now. By September, it'll be 24 Marianos, grocerants as we call them, okay. serving full menus plus hot grab and go, cold grab and go. You know, we're smoking meatloafs, our own ribs, smoking brisket, pastrami by the pound, brisket by the pound. Kiosk sandwiches? Just no kidding. kiosk sandwiches. <laughs> I refuse. We do have some grab and go at the one in um, Ravenswood where people love like just, but they're foil wrapped under the heat. It's yeah, yeah. freshly made. We only do like two of each at once. You don't put like 55 sandwiches out and oh, sell two. Yeah, it's so sad. I'm curious personally and for the listener, Pork and Mindy's the name versus like <laughs> Jeff's sandwich shop. Yeah, because uh, the idea came to me through my partner and the CEO of Pork and Mindy's, Kevin, who that was the name of his championship barbecue team that he used to travel with for a uh, decade. It was called Pork and Mindy's. So he always had not only the passion for smoking meat, he's a Harvard business guy, so he's an entrepreneur as well. And this kind of lay dormant in him. And he realized there was a void in the fast casual world for not only barbecue, you know, but slow smoke meats and, and pork. So what we did is kind of create this, what I liked about that and not calling it Jeff's, you know, it could live on its own. Yeah. It's a name that you don't forget whether you think it's stupid or punny or whatever, or it harkens back to simpler times with, you know, yeah. Mork and Mindy's. I probably wasn't like, I was like the name... I never fought anything in the name, like, but I wasn't, it's not like the name sold me on it. It was the vision of, of this empty space and how can we, I could open up a, I could open, I was meeting with restaurant groups in the city and, and it was awesome, but I didn't want just one off full service restaurant and bar because I think that would just cause 
yeah, it's just too much, right? My family wants reservations. My dad's at the bar drink. You know what I mean? Like I could just visualize all this. I wanted something that fit more my personality. I think that's a fast casual world sandwich sandwiches, obviously in something, um, scalable. Yeah. So it's good. It's a pain in the ass. It's the worst. I mean, you know, it's, I still, I mean, people think I'm rolling in money. I'm like, I don't, it's a restaurant. You don't roll in money ever unless, you know, you're, you're the very few and hopefully we're going to get there and we're well on our way there. But the first three years have been hard. So much turnover and losses and things. And it's like, why am I doing this? I have to remind myself every morning. And I guess the good part about not having your name on it is that you don't have to read reviews saying, I went to Jeff's sandwich shop yeah, and he wasn't there. <laughs> See, and that's the first, you know, people get mad. Now, Bucktown is good. Like the other one, I, like Bucktown's our flagship and we're, we're going to revamp it into probably a training ghost kitchen to do Uber Eats and all that stuff out of it because it's a hard location. And with my fan base, we get people going there once, but the parking's so bad and the city traffic is horrendous, especially in that neck of the woods. If you're not used to driving to, through Wicker Park or Bucktown with the diagonal streets, it can get a little confusing if you're not a city, city dweller. So it's like we get dinged a lot because just the logistics of getting there. Whereas when we open in Elmwood Park, that's going to become our flagship. That's where I think spiritually we should have been in the beginning, you know, because it's just and we got ties like oh, a million free spots over there. You know, we're going to have a rooftop deck. We're going to, it's going to be, it's going to be more my, you know, our vision That's at awesome. this point. It's where you grew up and you grew mm-hmm. up going to, what was in that location? If I saw it on it your Instagram. The, uh, the apothecary, which was like a little drugstore, right? Used to go there and buy Jolly Ranchers and garbage pail kids. Cause I went to school across the street. And so, you know, that's what we're going to call the, there's going to be a little sign on the rooftop bar. It's going to be called the apothecary. Yeah. I so, dig it. It's like an homage. And like, instead of like at the Bucktown location, great, where there's like all these jerseys of me, you know, with my name on it that I got from throwing the first pitch at the Sox or the Cubs or doing the shoot the puck at the, uh, at the Blackhawks game there, it's going to be my St. Vincent school photos, yeah, you know, I love it. Like stupid articles from the Elm leaves. Yeah. One of my, baseball team won the championship, right? My only athletic claim to fame, right? You know, so it's just going to be more personal, but also very accessible for everybody. So we're excited about that. We'll be right back with Jeff after this word from our delicious presenting sponsor. Martin's Potato Rolls was founded in the heart of Pennsylvania Dutch country in 1955. Martin's Potato Rolls are the number one branded hamburger buns in America. And as I like to say, they can make almost any burger taste better. I recently found out from Chef Lee Wolin of Somerset Restaurant in Chicago, um, who also oversees the menu of Devereaux, the rooftop bar at the Viceroy Hotel Chicago, that he's got a burger on the menu with the Martin's Rolls. So I'm on it and I will have to report back. Moving on, here is what I love about Martin's. Their mission encompasses more than just baking great bread and buns and rolls. They believe in giving back to the community and beyond. Through volunteering time and donating resources, they support hundreds of charitable organizations, such as food banks, after-school programs, disaster relief, and others that provide sustenance and comfort to people in need both close to their baking facilities and abroad. So to learn more about Martin's, please visit their website at potatorolls.com or follow them on the delicious world of social media at Potato Rolls. Martins, we thank you. So 
So switching gears back to Food Network Star, so something I didn't clarify, you won season seven of seven. Food Network Star, but you had said you started auditioning in season, season four. four. So congrats to you for freaking sticking through it. But tell me, like, why that audition or why do you think you got it at that point, do you think? I think my story started season four, right? I did move back to Chicago. I got I got uh, called back several times while in LA, but it, like I said, that December, it, that was the final round of uh, auditioning. They sent me to New York. You know, my I didn't have a... We did not have Lorenzo at that point. We just moved back. I had a degree. I was, you know, I had the culinary degree. I was doing, I was working professionally. I thought like, that's kind of like where the story began. And I made it as far as you can get without being cast. It's a point of auditioning in the Food Network studios, having screen tests, background checks, everything. I thought I got it. I thought I, season four, I was like, this is mine. Standing ovation after my demo, like all this stuff. I was like, I'm cast. And then I did, they never called me back. And I was so crushed. I did it again the next year. And then the year after that, it was the final Season seven, by that point, my son is a year and a half. We're living, we got our own condo in the city now that, no, that's not true. We moved in with my in-laws for a year. So we're working, we're dropping Lorenzo off. He's going from by Midway, where we were living on the south side, dropping him off every morning at like 6 a.m. by my aunts and Sarah's aunts in Elmwood Park. And then she would drop him off by... I would be on Irving and Montrose, not sorry, not uh, Western and Montrose to drop it, to pick him up from, like it was this loop every day. And it was the worst living in a basement, saving up for a house. We moved into the house a month and a half later. Hey babe, it's my Hi. wife, Sarah. It's my wife, Sarah. Like what am I? I'm like, um, I'm sorry to interrupt. Thank Good. you. How you doing? I'm Good. Okay. I'm going to rush up and talk to Sam. Oh, what do you have an appointment? What's your appointment? Skin doctor. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's right. This is a public service announcement. Get a skin scan. By the way, that's a good uh, PSA. When I interviewed Giada at the Wine and Food Festival, you know, she lost her brother. Through um, melanoma, through right? The, yeah. yeah. And so when I finished interviewing her, I went home back. It was in Miami. I went back home to Chicago, and I got a full body skin you, test. You got to do it. Like, her dad had melanoma and it was uh you know i mean it was not not good but she's he's fine now but she's, she's very very diligent about it almost to the point where i should probably schedule my next year i saw one. a couple on your lower yeah. back earlier <laughs> when you were bending over um <laughs> so yeah what was i say so we so we lived there like so it's like we saved for this house we did it the old-fashioned way right we moved into this house in elmwood park small starter home we had our son i was like I'm going to do it one more time. I'm going to send in a video. Was your wife like, really? She's like, I already told her. I go, this is the last time. I go, I swear to God, this is it. I'm happy. I'm going to eventually open up my own sandwich shop. I had people at you know, at the where I was private chefing. Well, I had a ton of money. They wanted to invest in something. Like, I was ready. I was, it was, I was fine. I was performing at nights, doing stuff like that, scratching each itch, right? She goes, I'm just letting you know. I have a good feeling about this. If you put in this video, and she's very skeptical. She wanted nothing to do with show business, but she's been with me. We've been together since we were 21 and, you know, 40, almost 41. So almost half our lives we've been together. She's been through all of it. She's like, listen, it's, you know, this is it. I go, bullshit. You don't know me. I go, I only fail at this shit. 
So I send in the video. I got a call in like two days. They're like, we're flying you out to New York for semifinal casting. Oh, you just sent in a video? I just sent in a video. It was even, it was a good video, but it was like, I'm not saying I didn't half-ass this. I just like didn't care because it was like, this was it. Totally. You let the nerves go in a way. Yeah, I let the nerves go. I didn't put any. Did you? What did you make for the audition video? I nothing. You, you just, just literally talked. it's got to be like sixty seconds. Got it. Okay. And it was at work, so I was in my chef. You know, I was in my chef whites, and I was had a cutting board and an onion, whatever. And I just made a stupid video. I probably still have it, but of course I still have it. It's, uh, I, I watch it every night <laughs> alone. Uh, I stream it. Is that uh, what you were watching when I pulled <laughs> of up? Of course you, I did, yeah. <laughs> you projected it on the back of your garage. <laughs> so we did, you know, I, I sent it in. I, I Then I went to, and then it was Sarah saying again, if you get on this plane, I guarantee you you're going to make it on the show. Not, not even like, at first it was like, oh, they're going to ask you back for the semifinals. And I was like, so I went on that plane. I got a call like the day after I landed back in Chicago, you know, went through everything. I mean, they're doing background tests, culinary tests, you know, you meet with lawyers. Like it was, it's very heavy. Like it's a long day. And then I knew it. And then she's like, okay, now we got to talk about this for real. Like, is this something we want? I mean, is, I'm like, you know, I want this. I know, you know, you've seen me struggle, uh, you know, at trying to make it in the entertainment side of things. So she's like, but if you get on that plane, you're going to win the show. If you're going to do the show. So, I mean, what people don't realize it's two and a half months away. You're totally sequestered. There's no phones or music or books or TV or any distraction. It was the worst, man. I hate it. I still have nightmares about it. But it was a means to an end, and it was a job audition. And I'm glad I won it because there were moments during that show where I was like, fuck, I just want to go home, man. I miss I miss my kid. You know, I can't even visualize how my kid moves through space or sounds. Mm. Like, you forget about You block it all out. You're you're in a house with a bunch of yahoos. I mean, people who would sign up to do a reality show competition, right? Yeah. It's not, you're, you're abnormal to begin with. Is there a moment, when you started shooting, was there a moment you're like, uh, I'm out? Dude, like, it was like day one. It was the first morning after like the longest day possible. That was like literally waking up, doing the walkthrough when you meet the rest of the cast outside you know, the man's Chinese theater in LA, you know, Hollywood moment. <laughs> and everybody I met was like, you know, a six foot four model. I felt, and I'm like, you know, chubby kid in a double XL, <laughs> you know, shirt from Burlington goat factory where there's more than just goats. And in that, I was like, fine. Okay. And now you do the first audition and you make your first, you know, your first culinary battle, you know, quick fire, whatever you have, what they call it. food, you know, Stark kitchen challenge. I don't know what the hell they called it. <laughs> But I did fine, but it was that next morning when it was like the full big like elimination competition when they woke us up at like 3.30 in the morning after like three hours of sleep and there was no hot water in any of the bathrooms. And we're like taking these cold showers. I'm like, I got these motherfuckers, they're trying to break us already, you know? And there are moments like that. And that was back when they really engineered these reality show cooking, you know, these, these competitions to... To, to break you so you break on camera. And I wasn't going to let it. So it was that day forward. And then, you know, one week passes, second week. And then you realize, I'm like, this is mine to lose. Like, I do have, out of anybody, I have the most performance skill. Like, I had the best combination, I think. Yeah. I was very well versed in both skills. And I was like, if I get too sad, you know, I just took a, sh I took, after that moment, that morning, I, that's, that's where I would, because you couldn't read, you couldn't do anything in your free I would take like three-hour showers. I wasn't doing anything weird in the shower. Yeah. Don't get, I mean, I don't do that. It's a clean environment. I don't believe in that. There's plenty of time for that. But 
Um, but honestly, you didn't, you know, even if I wanted to, you know, <laughs> do that, you're not going to because you're depressed in a way. But it was, uh, you know, I would never repeat that or recommend it unless you knew you were going to win because I'm so glad I won. At what point did you, at what point were you like, ah, I may, I may have this? I'd say about maybe like four weeks into it. You're like, I, this could I was be consistently mine. getting really good reviews on my presentations and food. You know, I knew enough about television, I think, even though I really never made television at that point. But I knew that that was like, you don't know how you're going to be edited. Yeah. But I knew they were creating a story with me. Yeah, yeah. And like that story was going to have a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. And I knew when they were producing the middle of that story that it was my happy ending to kind of make, you know, you know to come and, you know, make, make a reality. And you're at the time you were working private chefing for yeah. this corporation. What happened? So what happens? You win. Do, do you just, are you just done with that? So I, 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 I did break the NDA agreement when I told the owner of the company of Guaranteed Rate, who's a very powerful man, young guy, uh, and my the guy who kind of was my manager, what I was going to do. I was like, I'm going to go do a show. Give me three months off. <laughs> keep my job because if I lose, I still, I'm still sequestered. You know, they still sequester you. And I need a job to come back home. You know, I needed to be, I need that security. We need this income. Just moved into a new house. You know what I mean? It was, it was scary to like, because it's not like I'm getting paid to do Food Network Star. So I told them. I go, but it's probably in your best interest. I go, I'm feeling this. I'm going to win this. And it's, it's, you know, it's good publicity. So let me train some, some new hires. Let me, I had a couple people working under me at that point already that did a couple of the other locations. So I had a staff that would handle it when I was gone. And by the time I got back to work, nobody knew what I was doing except those two. So now picture yourself, you're, I'm in a 380 person should I shut that? It's, is that someone's building a treehouse? <laughs> you can't, not in this. There's too many lawsuits in this town. So I got back. At that point, I knew I was top two. And so <laughs> business as usual, right? The, guy, the other guy leaves. I'm back. I'm cooking, doing the thing, slicing meat, making sandwiches, 300-something people. So every question, you know, and I'm interacting with each customer. Everyone wants to know. 300 times a day, where were you? Where'd you go? What happened? People thought I went to jail. People thought I went to rehab. Oh, you couldn't even say that you no. tried out for the show or So anything. when I came back, no, because there was no press release yet. Then I went back two weeks later for the finale, or maybe it was four weeks later. So during that four weeks, I was, and then I leave for another week. People were like, oh my God, where'd he go? But that was the finale. I ended up winning. And then a week after I won, so I went back to work again. Same thing, same payment, same, because contractually you cannot, you know Erica Slavin, right? Yeah. That was her first, like, first month on the job. So it was her first thing, was her and Lauren Muller. Yeah. Now, these are two people that work for Food Network PR, and they kind of gave us the good cop, bad cop. And you can probably guess who the bad cop was <laughs> out of that. And Erica scared the shit out of us day two of Food Network Star, being like, if you guys get kicked out, which is most likely going to happen... And you go back to your job saying, this is what I did, or you take a new job, or you start buying car, you know, whatever, win, lose, or draw, you're going to get sued. You cannot change your life. You know, you can't lead on what you were doing, not only by word of mouth, by saying I did Food Network Star, but like you can't give clues to whether or not you won or not by quitting jobs. So it was scary. So I was like, oh, yes, but you know. 
So I ended up uh, shooting the whole first season of Sandwich King and going back to work before the before the press release went out for Food Network Star that I was in, that the ca- announcing the cast. So I knew it. Like so, here I am, like going through the daily grind, right? Not only knowing, like. I don't need to be here, but B, I already have a whole season of a show under my belt. And here I am, you know, slicing turkey. Expertly, of course. <laughs> Perfectly even. Part of me was like, I can't wait, you know, I, I can't wait to like start my new life. So the the day it was released, it was like everybody was like, oh, I knew it. You know what I mean? And then went on 13 weeks because I could not leave the job until the finale. So I that was 13 weeks of the show. 300 times a day. You going home this weekend? You going home this weekend? Oh, huh, come shit. On. I didn't even Because everybody that. was obviously pulling. I mean, it was, it was a to-do. It was, I was exhausted. The lies were exhausting. The amount of time, com- side conversations, people are like, he for sure didn't win because he's still working here. Exactly. That's why they don't want you to leave. Oh, Isn't that funny? God. I love so you, I knew, I was like, <laughs> She came in, man. She came in hot, too. She, want, she was, and it worked. So whatever she did worked, you know, because. I mean, I like feel like I know this, should know this, but I. Like I've thought about most of these steps, but not like that. So now you have a new responsibility because you won this massive show and your life changes a little bit. Does pretty, you know, it's, it was gradual because the journey was so yeah. orchestrated in a way yeah. by me, you know, and I never lost. I mean, I, you get frustrated and you give up here and there, but I, I always had my eye on the prize. So people are like, what was that overnight change like I go it was really long it's like 14 years in the making of you know moving across country taking risks go enrolling in culinary school in my mid-20s you know just doing a whole bunch of weird shit and like dragging my wife through it all it wasn't like so when it happened it was so tasty when the show aired and we we did the live viewing of the finale at uh, a Festa Italiana on Taylor Street which is you know my family's neighborhood and this was like my dad's office is still on Taylor Street, and they, the organizers, you know, the keg of Peroni and, you know, the Mastacholi and like a whole tent for us. It was awesome. And they announced it live on stage. It was great. From that moment, it was an overnight change because the secret was out. I can officially, and then I was on a plane the next day doing press and Today Show and Good Morning America. And that's when, that's when it got real, you know? And that's when it did change overnight. I was like, oh, God, I, you know, because that's when I did officially lose, you know, leave my previous job that Friday before the Sunday finale. And, you know, and then haven't stopped since, you know, it's like constant travel, right? And hustling even, even harder, trying to keep it going. Yeah. Then getting it is almost harder. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking about the first time I ever met Rachel. Ray was in like 2003 or four. And I met her like in the green room at the South Beach Wine and Food Festival. Hmm. And I was like, how you doing? She's like, you know, just riding this wave. Yeah. That's what she said to you. So cool. Well, she's all talk. I mean, she's listen, there's she's she's the James Brown of Food Network. I mean, there's no harder working person. I'm, I'm you know, you see it from the you see it from the you know front lines. But when I did, if you ask like the when I when I knew I knew I had Food Network Star in the bag was when we did her show. And that was back when the stage rotated and we each got our own, whatever, two minute, three minute demo. And I crushed it. And she knew it. And she said this much on the, and I was like, if I can crush a live studio audience yeah. with a demo, with an interview with her in 
do my job. I was like, I, I, I got this. I so. was at the studio at that time. Really? I was a producer on the show really? at that point. Yeah, do you, but you don't remember that. <laughs> no, I remember because I, I, I started the. I would pre. I would do the advanced production work oh, wow. when you when the crew was coming into film. So we always knew who was coming in. <laughs> As, yeah, but that was a great moment, man. She's, yeah. the, she's the best. So then you first do The Sandwich King, which was nominated for a daytime Emmy. Yes, the first, uh, first season of that. Man, it's crazy. And it's cool because you couldn't pick a better theme for Yelpers to scrutinize you and give you their two cents. Of course. product, right? Yeah. Sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> love, love me some Yelp. Do you look at or listen to like when it comes to your restaurant or anything do you listen to reviews uh, we, we listen you know if i get you ever change anything like oh all break? the time really? i am so quick to respond and change everything and take that no, please don't do it to me i've learned throughout the last whatever three having pork and mindy's open you learn to you know have a different protocol for negative reviews right because not all of them are credible or whatever but but i i i, I do read them and, and you know it sucks I'd rather have people tell me I'm not funny or, you know, obnoxious on, on the kitchen or loud and whatever than have a bad food experience in one of the restaurants. I was like, let me, I can handle it, you know? I, I hate it. Yeah, but it's part of it. It's part of it. Nobody's, nobody gets by unscathed, you know? My wife reviews my dinner cooking all the time. Yes. We sit down and she's How like, many stars you have yeah, right this now? Isn't your best, this isn't your best dish. I'm like... What the fuck's the matter with it? <laughs> it's two and a half stars. Like you're the one who wanted pasta. Like yes. I made you a pasta dish. How dare you? <laughs> Eat it. Um, so you mentioned the kitchen, which is a super fun show. Mm-hmm. What do you love about that show? Do you love having multiple hosts, if you will, or are you surprised, or do you enjoy sharing the kitchen love with other it. people? I love it. I think it's obviously I want to host my own show again and it's, it's, it's happening. So that's just a little teaser, but it's happening Hey-o. prime time. You obviously as a talent, you want to host your own, you want to have your own vehicle on prime time. So that's like, you know, that's the goal, but I love, I don't ever want to stop doing the kitchen. I think we are better than ever for me. I've spent my whole life grooming myself in a, in the classroom in what playing t-ball and little league and st- you know i was always constantly trying to make people you know crack people be the class i wonder client. if people laugh at you on the kitchen like when i catch it i fucking laugh out really? loud at your like your random like comments or like i, I don't know <laughs> like i get it i get them yeah. and i'm like they make me laugh that's and that's who i'm doing it for you know what <laughs> i mean i think some people when i throw those kind of offhanded under my breath things that they include in the edit. I do it for the person just like listening for the, or the little esoteric kind of. Who gets your that, humor on, on the show like the most? Jeffrey and Sonny probably. I mean, they all do. I mean, Katie's, you know. Yeah. Katie gets it. But she hears it, but kind of lets has, it roll. <laughs> she's got a, yes, exactly. She's like, the, oh my God, probably. And we get along splendidly. We are, you know, we're, the beauty of this format is we do it. We're three days together every three or four weeks, and then we go home. You How many I mean? shows are you doing a day? Sometimes five, sometimes four. So depending. So we get to like bounce yeah. and recharge. Whereas I think a lot, if, if this was like a daily show, I'm sure we would, our patients would run a little thin. But we laugh. We, we, you know, I'm doing it for them. Like I'm trying to crack up Jeffrey because that, if you ever come to see a taping, it is like, especially like 
if it's the you know third day of filming and it's the last show and three acts left, we're a little loosey goosey and we're you know we just can't stop breaking and it is so much goddamn fun <laughs> for me. I, and and of course and then I could feel like you know half the crew is rolling their eyes. The other ones are cracking up as well. Usually the the camera operators. So I mean, who am I doing it for? I'm doing it to make Jeffrey laugh and Sonny laugh. You know, make my my castmates laugh. Trying to make the crew laugh because they sit and live through all this. And most of the camera operators, I mean, they're not like young bucks, man. They're like 58 years old, has worked on so many different shows and so many different world-class talents. That Those guys have, or girls yeah, have seen it all. Seen it all. I and love interacting with them. So when we did our first pilot, our test pilot, I was like, I think the cameraman should be able to laugh. That was my idea. I go, we need either a live audience here or the crew can chuckle like, um, what was the comedy? Uh, what was his name? Who reviewed? Like, not Tosh. Who was before Tosh? The one guy from Community. Whatever. Like, where it's not a live studio audience, but it's chuckling. You can hear the production yeah. chuckle. I was like, we got to have that. I go, I guarantee you, I'll be three times funnier. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it kind of worked. And then from there grew a live studio audience. I mean, it's like 50, 60 people. It's intimate, but it makes it even that better, you know, that much better. So it's like, I get to do it for them all. Like I get to try the cameraman, my, my co-hosts and the audience and the people at home. So it's like, who am I aiming for? You know, I I try to do a blanket funny that can make everybody laugh or like that guy sitting at home, his wife's kind of making him watch it on Saturday morning, maybe hung over, maybe just smoked a hitter. Like, can I make him laugh with like a per- somewhat obscure Lebowski reference? And then I get that tweet from that guy immediately, and I'm like, boom. And he's like, oh, like the this money's guy. great, but yeah. like that to me is like, yes, that's the best feeling. Like, I think I got away with saying like eight year olds, dude, on the kitchen, which is, you know, aligned with the Jesus and Big Lebowski, which is my favorite movie of all time. And some things I get away with where I cannot believe I get away with it, you know, ripping a whip it from a. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, touching on social impact and giving back, which we I kind of highlighted earlier. You recently, semi-recently worked with Guinness to create some recipes that uh, are great any time of year. But this was around St. Patrick's Day specifically. And I know you created a quite a few recipes, but you did a spin on a corned beef sandwich and some other items. So what about this Guinness project? Uh, you know what? I... Love Guinness. I mean, who it's, 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 it's probably been my favorite partnership I've done because I really do love it. And I, you know, I drink it regularly. And to me, it's one of the unsung heroes of the beer pairing, beer and food pairing world. It's, it's you know, it's crazy when I was looking into it. Uh, I had no clue. I would have guessed total opposite, but it's actually comparable to a light beer it's in calories no it's it's it, it is it's people think it's like you're drinking this it's like a milkshake but it's not it's it's you know it's as much as like a regular blogger or something yeah you know and then they say like some of the earliest food pairings dated back to like they've been brewing guinness for like over 200 years mm-hmm. and there are some like old i don't want to call it a myth but like a pairing of oysters to guinness or yeah something. and that still lives on i mean they, they say it's like the original you know, food beer pairing, but, uh, I did this corned beef sandwich, uh, my spin was on, you know, buttered griddled Irish soda bread with like jalapenos and cheddar. And then I make kind of like a hybrid of like, what do I want with this corned beef? You know, how can I make it even more Irish? And it's just, I mean, 
I love Irish soda bread. I mean, I grew up in a very, you know, Italian, full-blooded Italian family. And we lived around mostly Irish people, you know? So I think, you know, this is, I, I do call myself half Irish sometimes, by, <laughs> by, Irish by proxy. Yeah. But we had a, a, a babysitter that would, uh, her name was Kathy Fiorito, Italian girl. She'd come, my parents would go away. It always seemed to be March, you know, when St. Patrick's Day was. They'd go away for a week and she would come and stay at the house and watch us four kids. She always made Irish soda bread. She was half Irish. And it was to me, it'd sit on the stove and I'd take hunks of it and put either salted butter on it or cream cheese and just sit there and eat it. Hence, hence my, my weight, you know, <laughs> my eighth grade, you know, yeah, 240 in eighth grade. But <laughs> it was uh, at least, you know, I, I think, you know, that, so that kind of is a p- personal connection to, to Irish soda bread yeah. and Irish food in general. I like that. So here's another thing that I was intrigued about. Their Guinness Gives Back Fund. Mm-hmm. You did stash for, what is it, stash for charity campaign? Yeah. I mean, I know people are like, what, are, what do you mean stash what? I mean, like, it's short for mustache, right? Yeah. I defy you to take a sip out of a pint of Guinness, perfectly poured, properly poured pint of Guinness, and not get your Guinness because, mustache. Yeah. It's like before people were getting milk mustaches, they were getting uh, Guinness mustaches. Every time you post a photo with your Guinness mustache and hashtag stash for charity, Guinness will... Uh, Donate a dollar. Which is amazing. So they donated a dollar around St. Patty's Day time with you and you guys were raising um, you guys were raising money for food banks in both Chicago mm-hmm. and New York. Yeah, I did the Oak Park River Forest Food Pantry as well as the New York Food Bank. You know, it's always good to have a great partnership with a great brand, but also to give back during that partnership when it's you get to kind of step outside the brand and yourself and be a little selfless yeah. and, and give back. I love it. Earlier, I had said one of the words, one of the three words I would use to describe you as generous. And I know you give a lot, whether it's money or time. Mm-hmm. How do you choose where you give your time and what you put your efforts towards? Uh, it's not easy. I mean, I'm, I'd be surprised if a day goes by where there's not an ask yeah. for some charitable donation of time or money or product or whatever it is, right? Uh, You know, it comes with the territory and I learned that very early on. And it's very hard to say no. I labor over it because you want to do everything, but I can't, you can't. I'll never work or see my family if I said yes to every, uh, you know, silent auction item. You know what I mean? I get anxious. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh my God, I feel bad for telling this person no. But you have to learn to say no. But you also, it's very important to get behind things, charities that you're passionate about, that I could see the results. Not instantly, but so I, I, I choose, you know, I do stuff with St. Jude. I do stuff with the food banks. I do stuff with Oak Park River Forest Food Pantry, which is, you know, kind of more of a grassrootsy. Uh, you know, a uh, food pantry. I have a random question. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, but please. I'm cutting you off. Do it. It's Oak your job. Oak Park River Forest Food Pantry. Did you, so you're from that area. Did you know that that existed when you were growing up? Uh, hell no. No. I, a charity I do uh, play for. I say that all the time because I do these yeah, chopped and all fair. these yeah. star chopped and, you know, you compete for these charities. But uh, I do Hepzibah a lot, uh, which is Hepzibah Children's Home in Oak Park where my mom was on the board. And she brought us there as kids, which is 
essentially a foster home for underserved children, abused children, the worst possible scenario if you're a children child and you're there, you're, you know, you had a shitty hand dealt to you. So I remember seeing that as a kid and like being like, oh my God, there's this whole subset of children out there that are, that don't have it like us, you know, how dare I complain about anything? So I knew, you know, that very, very early on in my TV career, like that was, you know, I knew about it as a kid. My mom had a strong connection to it. We volunteered there as children. So I kept it going and it's still there and it's still benefits from whatever I could throw it. Do you do stuff with your son? We've done some stuff like drop off uh, food and, you know, to the kids. And uh, so he sees some of it. He, I got to be way better. And that's, you know, it's hard. It's hard. You got to do it. Like, but it's, I'm almost ashamed of myself that, that we're not doing more with it, like stuff on the ground, you know? And it's easy, I think, in this business to be like, I'm just going to throw my name on a check or I'm going to give away something from my restaurant. And that's what my, I did it. I, I did know. My I karma's get, I get torn with it because there's organizations that will say, hey, we would love to put Rachel Ray's name on our like host committee for our invitation. And I'm like, well, I, I appreciate you thinking of her it's hard because on one hand, I know it, her name may help them sell tickets to their fundraiser. But on the other hand, I feel guilty letting them use her name if she's not actually doing something for them. Yeah. But I guess she is. Just the name, the yeah. use of the name. Yeah. The, 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 the star power, the clout, whatever you want to call it, yeah. is all they're looking for. So me with these charities, it's like what drives me crazy is that I feel like a lot of these big events and galas, it's just like, a, it's like who can bring the biggest donation or who can, who has the best t- contact that they can use for a, a, a live auction item or to put on the host committee. You know what I mean? Like, and it becomes not about, then you got the, the, the video and then the speeches and everything. Like for me, I like boots on the ground stuff. Well, and then you mentioned now, now you're in the restaurant game. So everyone wants a, a, a dinner for four or whatever it is. And people don't realize, as we spoke about earlier, restaurants don't, you're not rolling in dough from restaurants. And so when I meet with someone who wants to meet with me to run an event idea by me, and they're like, and we'll just get this chef to donate, you know, 500 portions of food and, and a meal at his restaurant. And I was like, why do you think that they have all this money to be able to do that? Like, do you walk into a clothing store and say, can I just get a hundred pair of jeans for yeah. my event? It, it, it doesn't work like that. And then like, like, that's the misconception about the restaurant world. I mean, like the margins are so thin that you're, you're lucky to, you know, turn a profit and pay your freaking bills, you yeah. know? But uh, that's what I love about Chef's Playground. And that is that because there's kids there, yeah. you get to meet the kids yeah. and see the kids in action and everything. And I like that, you know, I it's like important. seeing results. And it's very, you rarely get to see the results of any charitable When work, I became you know? involved with that school, Academy for Global Citizenship, that did the Chef's Playground event for many years, um, that was one of my main things. I was like, I don't want people to come into this event because there's, yeah, I want there to be great chefs and good quality food and have a good experience in value. You know, and I said, I don't want them to come and leave and say, what was that event for again? Yeah. Like you went in and there were students there from the school and you kind of got an idea of what this school stood for in a way. So that's cool. All schools should be like, that's my God. I wish I went to school I like know. that now. I mean, it's crazy. But you see the results of the donations, you know, it's not like, 
you know, I mean, that's like these, the food banks and all that. I mean, that's why it's like it's so important to do boots on the ground stuff and, and, and deliver food places in it's because you see people eating it, you know, a lot of time these big, you know, I mean, I've been in events in New York, you know, at uh, Cipriani where it's like this, people are donating, you know, people, live auctions are like starting at 50,000, you crazy. know, just, just to raise a paddle, not yeah. even for anything. And then people are donating a million dollars on a chef's dinner. I mean, but you don't see people, eat, you know, you don't see the fruits of that donation. You you believe in it, obviously. That's yeah. why you wouldn't do it. But I think the closest what, thing is like City Harvest, which uh, is mm-hmm. an incredible organization. Yeah. You know, they just had their event in April and they'll have like truck drivers because they have a fleet of trucks. They go mm-hmm. and pick up food at grocery stores or wherever and deliver it to soup kitchens and food pantries. And so they'll bring the truck drivers to the event and yeah. sit at a table and they get to enjoy an event, but they're also acknowledged, which is pretty neat. Yeah. And that's, so, I mean, because that cuts food waste too, which is yeah. abhorrent. Been um, bad lately, but we're, we're getting there, I think. Yeah. It's good. All right. Speed round. Speed round. I'm ready. I got my scholastic news in front of me here. It's my son's homework. I know it's good. It's hard reading, man. It's like the, uh, it's is that, like the is New that York the whole Times. thing? It's like three it pages. Is, it is. Well, you know. Is it always you know, like budget that? concerns. That's about five pages, four pages. He loves it. That's great. All right. What did you have for dinner last night? We had uh, Thai-style meatballs with pork, ginger, garlic, uh, scallions in there, real simple ground pork with, I made some, I uh, got some fresh egg noodles. Is this a lightning round? Cause I'm elaborating. Go. Uh, H Mart. I went to H Mart for the first time. Oh really? Uh, it was awesome. So I got some baby bok choy and all sorts of, uh, sauces that I don't know what the labels were, but man, they you know, they good. taste good. Some crazy ass instant ramen that I can't wait to crack open. Uh, and so I made, I made some, you know, pan fried Chinese egg noodles with, uh, leftover, uh, Thai meatballs that Sarah made. Does Lorenzo help you guys cook? Yeah, he does. You know, when he's not like, does he like it or distracted? Okay. Uh, he loves it. He does. We, we, we probably, again, we should probably cook more, but sometimes just, I'm not going to lie and be like, oh, you know, he's my sous chef because that would be bullshit. You won't believe. Sometimes you got to get dinner on the table and I have to get him to Taekwondo, you know? <laughs> so, but he loves it, man. He loves like making eggs and sauteing like carrots with fat or butter, whatever, and tossing the pan, chopping things. He's, he's, he's good. Nice. He's good. He's, he's above average. Yeah, that's good. Uh, name a smell in the kitchen you love. Oh, beef fat, like sizzling beef fat, whether in steak or burger form. Yeah. Yes. Smell in the kitchen you hate. Oh, <sighs> like yesterday's salmon onion in the garbage oh when you're done when you're cleaned up you're like shit it stinks you gotta take the garbage i feel like my wife smells that like from a block away oh she'll walk in and be like what'd you do with onion i'm like i I finished with that onion so long ago how do you know it's still lingering you know um what pisses you off in the kitchen and you could take this like in your restaurants i hate uh i hate when uh, people aren't using their space wisely you know what i mean keeping stuff in front of them, making it easier on themselves, right? Wasting it, like, whether in the restaurant or at home, if I'm cooking with somebody, they will not be mentioned. Uh, and you see them kind of like the, you know, the prep bowls over here and the cutting boards here, and then they keep running to the sink to grab, I'm like, just put it all in front of you. Like, don't, you know? And especially with my son, I have to teach him, right? Time management. While you're gathering your ingredients, get your pan. Yeah. Set it to medium. There's no reason you have to wait for your pan if you use your time. Time is money, young yeah. man. So I hate that time management, and I guess I hate waste too. Yeah. What makes you happy in the kitchen? Music. 
while cooking. Oh, it's my favorite. I got speakers all over this house. I have a record player that connects to the speakers. I have buttons where I can play Sirius XM, whether I want to listen to Howard Stern or Sirius XMU. I press a button like it's constant. Wait, what are your go-to Sirius stations? XMU, Howard 100, Howard 101. I'm a giant Howard Stern fan. I've been on the wrap-up show three times. It's my claim to fame. <laughs> uh, and not on the main show, the wrap-up show. Uh, Sirius XMU, Grateful Dead. What's XM? What number is XMU? X- XMU is 26, I think. It's like uh, alter, you know, uh, indie rock. Okay. Any, anything newer yeah. and kind of pitchforky, as I like to yeah. say, <laughs> uh, plays on there. But that's where I usually find new music. I like Grateful Dead, Beatles. Those are probably top three. Got it. It's a whole spectrum of stuff. Yeah, I got to add some of those to my favorites. Yes, your favorite. Jam on can be good. Nineties on ninety. Yeah, I like both of those. Spectrum Coffee House. It's a little, eh, a little too no? sleepy for me. All right. Spa. Spa. I, mean, I used funny story. We used to, you know, of course, you you have young twins, so you know the importance of a nap, right? And not disturbing the nap because it's your time to either nap or not have to deal with shit. So we would like, Lorenzo would fall asleep in the car all the time, right? Whether we're trucking him or, you know, like the path I used to say, you know, he'd be in the car a lot as a baby and a toddler. So if he, if it was nap time, you time it, he'd be out cold. I'd leave him in the driveway. I'd put on the spa channel, which had no lyrics and make sure the heat was, you know, at a normal, whether it was a little chilly outside or warm, we had it going. The the thing, he wasn't in a garage. Don't, you know, listen, people, (laughs) don't don't get mad. I'd I'd crack a window, (laughs) but we, I'd have that spa going at like, you know, 12. And it would be brilliant. It was, and he would, man. And we just, you know, we just have to like either be outside and watch it, you know, Oh, but then the best when he got to the age where he can get himself out of the car seat after a, after a, a, a you know a, a driveway nap was the best. Ah, that spot. So that's my go-to. Oh, one more question: What actor would you want to play Jeff Morrow in a movie? Oh, that's a great one, Vince Vaughn. We're watching Wedding, Wedding Crashers yesterday. He's so good. Yeah. He was great in that wrestling movie that just came out uh about the british wrestler girl wwe with the rocks in it and he's fight family in the fight it was really cute he's great i love him i'll always love vince vaughn no matter what he did even uh you know uh true detective season two are you a wrestling fan not at all not even close i actually have ptsd from wrestling it's my brother older brother huge wrestling fan still it if goes we all wa- state. if wrestling was in the- he would yeah i've sent him dude my brother still he takes his Does kids he really? still oh yeah Loves it. You got to be into it. Like you, one you of my buddies I went to high school it. with is a professional wrestler, Did and I? he has a podcast called "The Art of Wrestling," which has millions of downloads and a following around the world. Really, he travels around the world almost on a weekly basis, wrestling in Japan leagues. Really, There's and that, whole, this was his dream, like when he was a kid. And he went to Western Michigan, I believe, or a school in Michigan. Played football for a year or two. And wound up going to wrestling college. Get the hell out of yeah. here. People love, like, you can't, you're not like a casual wrestling fan. You are either dead, All not in, in your radar, or, yeah. or you are there with the sign, yeah. spitting yeah. on freaking whoever, yeah. Triple H. Yeah. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like my brother, I think he still, he doesn't follow it anymore, but he loved it growing up. And I kind of liked it, you know? But I knew, man, if wrestling was on that once a week or WrestleMania, I, would get my ass whooped. It would be like 
two matches in, he could give me that eye, man. Next thing you know, I'd be in a figure four leg lock <laughs> on the living room floor, <laughs> screaming for my parents to come save me. Like knocking out teeth, bloody. You could see I've got several scars on my face. They're all from my brother. In, in same thing, Rocky, best of the best, blood sport, anything we'd watch with fighting in it. He was like the movie, in the moves. I remember seeing Rocky Four at the Lakes, or maybe Rocky Five, the one with uh, Tommy Guns or whatever. Rocky Five at the Lake Street Theater, and I remember walking after across the Lake Street with my brother, and I knew he had this look, and he's like, "The movie was over, right? I, who's not charged up after watching any Rocky, whether it's like Rocky One or Rocky Fifteen? I, I, we went home. I, I got whooped. Like, like, you know, I mean, it's not like I was abused by my, like it was, you know, as a normal brother would normally somewhat beat up his younger (laughs) sibling, but I knew it like, so I I can't, I can't do it. I don't, it's not like I'm adverse to violence, but wrestling, I don't know. It doesn't do it for me. All right. Closing the real closer, the real closer. What advice would you give to a 25 year old Jeff Morrow? What advice would I give to a 20? You know, take better care of yourself, especially at 25. I think it took a, several years of being on television to like in traveling and eating to be like slow down, chubby. You know, you'll feel better. You can hustle harder if you're physically in better shape. And I think, you know, I mean, it gets, you get caught up in it. Especially in the beginning, you know, you, it's like the Food Network 50 <laughs> and you kind of end up gaining weight. And I mean, that's what I would say. I would also say, be careful who you hire. I've been with the same core team for since day one. There were times when I think I was impatient with my career and I wanted more and more. And I just end up hiring people who would eventually not be any of, you know, of any service. It just costs you money and lawyers and time. And it's like, I hated that. I hated being, you know, I don't know. I hate wasting money. It's hard. Yeah. Like, a dollar's hard to still make in this sure. business, you know? Yeah. And I want it all. Yeah. I don't want to give any of it away. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you taking the time to chat and keep being funny because you make me laugh. And I'm excited to see that next the the next chapter of tv world restaurant world personal life thanks for giving how you give because it makes a difference your voice your time your money all that stuff there's always more to give right yeah thanks you're welcome quote it's very important to get behind charities that you're passionate about where you can see the results thanks again to jeff morrow find him at jeffmorrow.com Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at On Cappy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on Twitter at BT Plate Podcast and Facebook. Big thank you. This episode was produced by myself along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yeaton, Sean Petrosian. Thank you all. Thank you to Andrew Glatt for your social media expertise. And our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. Thank you, Jeffrey Goldford. As always, a special shout out to my wife, Katie, for letting me nag her to edit things that I write week after week. Please rate, review, and or subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to this season three of Beyond the Play. We hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned for updates on season four. We're going to take a nap for a minute. I'm Cappy. And remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen. 